thank you so much for this time. Thank you for Encounter. Thank you for putting on Pastor Nikki and Colleen's heart this theme of you being with us in the mess and the messes of our lives. So we just open ourselves up to you, Holy Spirit, to your teaching, and we pray that you'd use this time to um, plant whatever seeds of faith that you want in our minds and hearts. And uh, yeah, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, um, lessons from Iranian refugees in Scotland. I titled this Being a Vessel in the Mess, uh, partly because as the last encounter, um, Nikki and all the speakers has been looking at ways that God is with us um, in the mess. And today we're going to take that even a step further by saying not only is God with us in all of these various messes that we've encountered or that we encounter in our life, not only that, but even a step further, I believe that we can be his vessels, that God uses us as vessels of his power and mercy and love, um, even in our messes. So we're going to look at that today. And we're going to start, just wanted you to hear this verse. This is a, an Isaiah verse that often is used in Advent. Um, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light, a light has shined. Um, behind, behind this is uh, Glencoe, Scotland. So behind some of the scriptures, I just put some pictures of Scotland. So for those of you who don't know, I think probably most of you know, but um, Bree and Sophie and I spent a year in Glasgow, which is the biggest city in Scotland. Edinburgh is the capital, but Glasgow is, a, is a, the biggest city. It's actually the third biggest city in all of the UK. Um, so think it's, it's kind of like San Diego. It's kind of spread out. Um, big city in Scotland. And um, we worked with uh, refugees, a, a church that specifically works with asylum seekers and refugees from the Middle East, primarily Iran. And when I look at this verse now, I can't help but think of this community back in Glasgow, not only them, but um, all Christians in Iran. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And of course, this verse is talking about Israel, you know, ancient Israel. That's that what Isaiah was talking about. But the beauty of scripture is that it so brings to life God's heart for his people and it can be applied in so many ways. And, and so the reason this um, verse makes me think of the church in Iran, it's, it's because just a little bit of background. Um, the, in Iran, there is a, a Muslim government, and that government in that particular country is extremely oppressive. You may have heard in the news, um, there's a lot of violence in Iran right now um, from from the government and that we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that today but um, so under this um, Islamic government it is illegal to 
convert to from Islam to Christianity. So you or I, we could move to Iran and and be Christians. That's legal, although we probably wouldn't find just an open church. There are um, there are ancient um, Armenian Orthodox churches that are allowed to be churches there, um, but are on very strict um, government watch. And and so for the most part, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of citizens of Iran are expected to be um, part of Islam and it's actually punishable by um, by death to to convert from not just to Christianity but anything outside of Islam so um, with that though being said is uh, Iran is where on, on the globe right now one of the fastest growing churches in the whole world all completely underground um, and there's this remarkable move of the Holy Spirit that has been happening over the past 10 years where a lot of people in Islam are being visited by Jesus in, in a dream, in their dreams. And, and so many people, despite these really harsh conditions of, of it being illegal to um, change out of your Islamic religion, religion so many are, are um, coming to Christ. And it's amazing. And so I think of this verse now because um, and, and, and the, 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 the folks that we um, befriended in, in Glasgow would absolutely affirm um, that the, 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 their previous religion, you know, and, and how the government, how it was used in, by the government to oppress, they were living in a land of darkness. You know, of, of just oppression and, um, and on them a light has shined. Jesus has totally, um, is totally changing the country from the inside out through this really fast growing uh, underground church. And it's amazing. But so um, anyway, that is, that is just kind of an Advent tie in. Uh, but so... How does that apply to our work in Glasgow? So a lot of uh, these folks that are in Iran, um, they will be invited to a a church by a friend, um, a a secret church, an underground church, and they'll learn about Jesus at someone's house, often in a in a basement or in a um, in an, an office building of you know at night, or there'll be this this kind of secret gathering of a church. And, um, but if the gathering is found out and names are, are found out on a list, then, then many of these folks fled the country in a, in a moment's decision, got a call from their parents saying, hello, the police are here. They're looking for you. Don't come home. You have to leave the country. You know, we'll, we'll pay for um, this smuggler to, to get you out. You know, so that's a very common story among these folks that had made it to Glasgow. Um, and so that's just some of their background. So many of these folks that we met were, were brand new to, um, to Scotland. You know, they, they'd showed up, they would show up to our church, often invited by a friend. And many of them were interested in, in Jesus. You know, if, if you had been in Islam all your life, 
and started go, you know, maybe you'd be intrigued by this secret gathering talking about Jesus, but you know, not necessarily sold, you know, who's Jesus? I, I like, I like the sound of this. So a lot of them came very interested, feeling very done with Islam, but not sure about, um, about Jesus. And so that's what the upper room church does is it's, they're just a church and they, they teach and disciple these Muslim background asylum seeker, um, folks seeking asylum about Jesus and about the Bible. And so, um, we're going to look at them specifically in terms of being a vessel in the mess because what Brian and I saw was that um, these folks in in this position of um, having to flee their country because of an interest, at least in Jesus, some of them, by the time they arrive, they're already would say that they are Christians. Um, others left just for political reasons, speaking out against the government. They, you know, were were going to be in trouble, so had to flee. So a whole range, but. But these folks who are arguably in the biggest mess of their lives, can't return home, had to flee through Europe, basically being smuggled with, with not a lot literally on their person, some of them alone, some of them with um, one or two companions. But these are folks that are in a huge, huge mess probably the worst mess of their lives. And Brian and I saw God work so powerfully in them and through them. So not just in their own lives, but through them. Even to Brian and I, we really feel like we learned a lot from this community about how the gospel uh, can really touch and, and change lives and generate faith. So... Um, so just a little more, these are just some pictures of some of the folks we uh, worked with. A lot of them uh, young men, because those are the people who, um, you know, if uh, those, are the, those are the people that are out and about in Iran, and so a lot of the people that were going to the, to the churches, um, and a lot of them will flee, hoping to get a visa in Europe so that then they can bring their families. So if a family is in danger, sometimes just the husband will flee, um, and and so he that, so that he can get um, uh, status refugee status in a country in Europe like uh, the UK, and then his whole family can be brought. But then also there are there are plenty of young women um, that fled themselves that they themselves were going to an underground church. Um, and had to flee. Uh, this is this woman's name is Nikki. She has an amazing story that I'll talk a little bit about in a minute. But she was going to an underground church, and she was married to a man named Milad, and he was um, pretty unsure about about uh, Christianity, but but open to it and open to his wife attending this underground church. And then he he received a call from. His father-in-law, her her dad, one evening saying, "You have to take uh, her, her her birth name is uh, Fatima. You have to take Fatima out of the country." And they fled 
um, th all the way through Europe and, and actually over the course of about two years uh, landed in, in Glasgow. Um, so they have an amazing story that I'm going to expand on a little bit. But so this is just to get some faces in front of you, um, people of all ages, but primarily in the uh, 20s to 30s um, where, where many of the people who were coming. Yeah, question. In the former slide, there was one gentleman that looked older than like these guys. Yeah, in the red. Now yeah. Curious age range, so twenties to maybe. Yeah, he's in his fifties. I don't know exactly how old, but this is Esfandiar. He's got an amazing story. He was one who didn't leave um, because of being a Christian in Iran. He was he's Kurdish, and the Kurdish people are especially oppressed um, in Iran. And he was speaking out against the government and fled for that reason and landed in Germany. And and some Nigerian missionaries in Germany invited him to church, brought him to Christ. So by, by the time he got to Glasgow, he was already a strong Christian and wanted to learn more and, and grow more in his faith. But um, yeah, that, isn't that amazing? Nigerian missionaries in Germany bringing this Kurdish man to, yeah, <laughs> such an amazing smattering of cultures there. Um, okay, where am I? What was that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, and 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 this is very casual. If you have questions um, throughout, we can we'll we'll have a little time at the end, but um, feel free to just ask anything. So um, I have three lessons that uh, I want to focus on as lessons that Brian and I learned from this community um, in this huge mess, and so um, and thus. How, how we see them as vessels of God's power, God's teaching even, um, in this mess, in that, in that they are even inspiring uh, Free Methodists of Santa Barbara through us going, helping them, um, discipling them, but also learning from them and bringing back all that we can. So um, the, this is the first lesson, and, and these are, I'm hoping these are going to be pretty simple um, and that's one of the beautiful things about uh, this community is that everything, all the teachings were very direct, simple, blunt, because they were so new to people in Islam. Um, here in America, you know, we have, there's a lot of Christian culture, that, so things aren't necessarily as novel. You know, a lot of people, non-believers, have a sense of maybe who Jesus is, maybe often distorted, of course, um, not the full picture, but people have an idea of, um, of who Jesus is, of the gospel. But for example, um, at one young man I, I, around Christmas time of last year I was having coffee with, we were reading the Christmas story, and he said, what's, what's a manger? And I, I explained, I was like, oh, it's a place where animals you know, live and, and eat. He's like, oh, okay, cool, nice. But what is it? What is it here? It says manger here. What does it mean that Jesus was? I was like, yeah, he was born in a, and he was flabbergasted. He was like, what? Jesus was born in a manger? So it was brand new, just totally novel, which was really exciting. But so lesson number one, Wesley, who was the lead pastor of the Upper Room Church, he would often um, talk about um, well, I'll get to that. I, I 
reference this verse from James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Um, and this is what was often taught in the church. That, that we're not just called to be Christians or believers or church attenders, but disciples. So there was a really big focus on the upper room church that these folks were called to be the disciples of Christ. Um, and so one of the reasons that they're the mess that these people found themselves in was really conducive to them being disciples was that uh, when they come as asylum seekers, they, they are seeking refugee status. That's what their visa gives them. But without refugee status, they can't work. Um, they get they get monthly a monthly stipend for food from the government, and they get set up with housing. So the UK government's actually really good to them. But the um, the system of of uh, getting refugee status, it's obviously it's very um, full and takes a long time to process, often often years. So they spend um, anywhere from a few months to a few years uh, in as asylum seeker status, where they can't work. And so these folks were so committed to church life. They would um, they would come to every Bible study. They would come to church on a Thursday night when something was offered. They would come, even those who were not yet Christians. I, it was amazing. I um, there was a uh, an event that I helped set up chairs with one other man, and he was someone that volunteered, um, you know, every week. And he spoke only a little bit of English and. We set up chairs together and played, and when we were done, there was a ping pong table and we played ping pong um, for a while. And, and I just assumed that this man was um, was a Christian, you know, that had been involved in this church. But about a month later, he gave his life over to Christ and, um, and you know, said, I'm, okay, I'm ready to submit to Christ. But so this is an example of this man who was um, just there completely involved because he was an asylum seeker. This was this great community. He really had nothing else to do. So he was in this huge mess and yet so committed to coming and being part of the church life. And that is how um, Jesus just poured poured into him until he was ready to uh, surrender his life to Jesus. And so... Um, this a biblical example I wanted to to give of this idea of um, of of God leading us even deeper in the mess because this is lesson one. This is the idea that that in our messes, in the messes of our lives, I think it's an opportunity for God to take believers, Christians, church attenders. That's all good. That's great. But sometimes it's in our mess that I believe God calls us even deeper into being a disciple. Saying, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm a disciple of Christ. Um, and so the biblical example I, I have of that is Joseph. Not Joseph and Mary, but Old Testament Joseph. And how um, it was Joseph who was already a, a son of Jacob, a son of Israel. He was already, he was in, he was the people of God. But it wasn't until he was in the biggest mess of his life, he was sold to slavery, he was um, 
but then but then in, he was yeah he was in prison um most of you i'm sure know know the whole story of how joseph was in the biggest mess of his life out of his country much like these folks um out of everything familiar and and god used that mess to um make joseph an amazing leader of god's people and um redeem the land of egypt and um, bring the sons of Jacob out of their their famine, the land of famine. So it's um, these people to me are are like uh, like Josephs. They are completely um, in a foreign land, unknown territory, completely out of their comfort zone in every way. Um, and yet, I, Brian, and I saw that God has a really amazing plan in each of their lives um, to be really strong, devoted disciples of Christ in this new land. So um, so that's lesson one is, is simply that, that we learned. It's that um, it was in this, this mess that Jesus, uh, yeah, that Jesus was not just, not just uh, building Christians, but building disciples, disciples of Christ. Lesson two that we saw was um, the power of the gospel, scripture, and biblical truth very simply and very bluntly in these people's lives. And what, what Brian and I realized in being there was that, and again, this isn't, this isn't, um, this isn't bad, this is just a reality, but, but um, being a Christian in, uh, in the United States uh, evangelizing looks very different for us because of what I described earlier, right? It's things are kind of nuanced, you know. Oh, I want to, I want to share, um, you know, I want to share the goodness of Jesus with this friend, but I don't know where they are politically. I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know what's going to offend them. Everything's very, you know, that's that we realized going to Scotland that that was our reality. So I don't want to speak for, for, um, anyone else but Brian and I have experienced that as our reality that that here we we had been um cornered a little bit into every into nuancing the gospel um nuancing biblical truth um being careful with with scripture um but here we saw the power of the simple blunt straightforward direct gospel and its application to to human life and the sharing of scripture and of biblical truth. So for for this um, lesson, oh, I forgot my favorite word. I've been saying nuanced. Uh, the power of the gospel, scripture and biblical truth, undiluted. So that's that's kind of our word. Is that um, it was it was uh, it was amazing. My first. Our first Thursday night, the Upper Room Church worships on Thursday nights, and our first Thursday night gathering there, um, the pastor preached on a uh, a passage about wisdom, about make about um, making a wise choice, and of course this is being translated into Farsi, um, and he kept saying, uh, I can't remember what the scripture was, but he kept saying, so so will you be wise? Will you make the wise choice or will you make the stupid choice? And I, I was, I was like, whoa, 
you, you can't, can you say that? <laughs> and um, I, the whole time I was, I was half amazed and half horrified thinking, uh-oh, uh, everyone at the end of this is going to stand up and walk out. But sure enough, at the end, he said, if you want to make the wise choice tonight, come up and we, you know, come up at the end of the service and we will pray for you. And probably 40 people stood up at the end and lined up to go be prayed for. And I was blown away. Um, and and, and uh, uh, as I said earlier about the, uh, there's this move of the Holy Spirit that, that, um, that God is using dreams in a lot of um, people, uh, specifically of Muslim background. Uh, there was this, a woman named Miriam who uh, came that night up to Wesley, the pastor, and said, um, Pastor, two nights ago I had a dream and there were two figures in the dream. One was a figure of light and one was a more sig- a sinister um, fig- figure and the, the figure with light around them was saying, choose wisely. So this, this woman, you know, had... had um, had this dream from God that that um, really uh, spoke to her through that that sermon that night, and and she gave her life to Christ that night. But so um, I wanted to, as a little just exercise, um, throughout our time there, the 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 people that Brian and I discipled and befriended, as we heard their testimonies, both of coming to Glasgow from Iran and just their testimonies of. Um, getting to know Jesus and their lives changing because of Jesus. Um, I wanted to share with you some phrases. These are my words, um, paraphrased of what I heard from their testimonies. And these are some very simple uh, biblical truths that I want to share with you, but I want to encourage you to, as, as you hear them to um, realize how powerful they they are and and um, that that these biblical truths. This is the fruit that, that you're about that I'm about to show you. Um, the fruit of the simple gospel, the simple direct sharing of scripture, um, biblical truth applied to to people's lives. Um, this is what really stood out in people's testimonies. So, um, first of all, Nikki, who I mentioned earlier. Um, joy is found in Jesus. So really simple, but this is um, something that changed her life. She worked in a um, in a bus ticket stand in in Tehran, the capital of Iran, and she described um, being so angry that her whole life was she was just filled with anger, anger, anger. And a friend, a coworker of hers, at this bus ticket station. Um, once said, "You're, you're. Why are you so angry? Do you know about Do you know about Jesus?" And they invited her to their church, and she learned about Jesus. And now she's one of the most joyful um, people. And so, just that really simple joy is found in Jesus um, changed her life. Her husband Milad, God does miracles to save. So. Milad, um, as I said, this is the gentleman who got a call from his father-in-law saying, hey, you need to get um, Fatima, Nikki, you, need, you guys need to get out of this country. Um, he at that point wasn't a Christian, but he was just doing that to save his family, save his wife. So they, um, they got on a truck and were smuggled out of 
Iran, and um, he described to Brian and I um, multiple miracles that were ways that God saved them on the journey to Glasgow. And he said, after seeing these miracles, I totally believe in God. I totally believe that God loves me and was is, was watching over me and has a plan for my life. And so on the road, actually, on the journey, he gave his life to Jesus. So God does miracles to save. That's, you know, that's something we know. We know there's miracles in the Bible. Yes, of course. But, you know, does God really do miracles? I don't know. You know, like that's, that's what, that was what I would say pre-Scotland. But no, Milad would say, absolutely God does miracles. God does miracles now, every day. Arman, this gentleman's name is Arman. Jesus gives us strength to forgive. This was huge for Arman. Arman, um, like like Nikki was, he described himself as a person of anger. He said back in Iran, I was always filled with anger, filled with rage, and this was particularly he had a really hard relationship with his father. And while we were um, while we were talking and um he he was able he described that jesus gave him the strength to forgive his father and his family he was harboring some anger at his whole family and he was able to forgive them um because of hearing of the cross and jesus gave him that strength to forgive and it totally changed his life changed his relationship with his family he would call his family from glasgow um, multiple times a week. This also, this is a, just a fun story about Arman. He, the first night he came to Upper Room Church, Wesley, the pastor, preached on um, he, he preached on a passage, but his point was saying, "You here in Scotland are labeled as refugees." He says, "But no, I say that you are missionaries. I say that God has that you didn't." You, you didn't land here, that God has brought you here to be missionaries in Scotland. And so after the, that Bible study, Armand came up to Wesley and said, Wesley, I want to be a missionary for Jesus, but I think I need to be a Christian first. <laughs> so that, I, I love that um, story about Armand. Moosey, this is his friend Moosey. We are seen by Jesus. So again, this is a really... Um, simple biblical truth but it had su- ha- what I was so profound for Musi. Musi was really impacted by um, the story of Nathaniel the disciple when Jesus says um, says I saw you under the fig tree and it's kind of a funny story where there's not a lot of detail we don't really know you know why that was significant but but Na- but supposedly Nathaniel was alone under this fig tree. Yet Jesus said, I, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that's when Nathaniel says, wow, you are the son of God. Um, and Musi, that really struck Musi as being seen by Jesus, even when he is alone, even um, feeling totally isolated in Scotland. He is seen by Jesus. I don't have a picture of Rahele. But in Jesus' kingdom, women are free and empowered. 
for us, you know, of course, you know, of course women are free. For them, in Iran, women are not free. They're not free at all. Not only in the family structure, but in the um, in just the cultural structure, women have very little freedom, including um, singing. Women, uh, 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 men are not allowed to listen to women singing in Iran, um, and so women are not allowed to publicly sing. And and Rahele's got an incredible voice. She was she became a worship leader at Upper Room Church. And she was so attracted to Jesus because of the um, because of the freedom and the dignity that she received as a woman um, in in his kingdom. So again, profound truth um, that these that these folks experienced. Hossein, with Jesus, there is deliverance from evil. I don't have a, a picture of Hossein either, but. Um, a lot of these folks coming from the the traumas, uh, both from their oppression in their country, but also from the journey, they experience a lot of of literal evil in their minds. Um, there, we we encountered a man that that had de- there was demonic presence in his um, in his mind, and he was able to be delivered uh, from that and. Um, it wasn't Hossein, it was, it was a, a man named China, but Hossein was part of that process, part of um, coming along side of China and, and um, seeing his deliverance. And that so impacted Hossein saying, wow, people really are struggling um, with, with, with evil, with literal evil in their hearts and minds. And Jesus, by the, the power of Jesus' name, um, these people can be delivered from them. He, he actually encouraged um, the pastor, Wesley. He said, Wesley, when you're praying for people who are becoming a Christian for a first time, would you, would, every time, would you speak over them? Would you say, Satan, you have no authority over this, this person. They are bought with the blood of Jesus. Um, and, and Wesley said, absolutely, I, I will do that gladly. And, and I saw Wesley make that change in his own ministry. Kame, this is uh, Kame, the truth will set you free, God's will is best. Kame was, um, uh, he left Iran like Esfandiar, um, the man I mentioned earlier, uh, not uh, because of Christianity. He, was, he did not become a Christian in Iran. He just left, he was sick of his life. In Iran, his uncle was a mullah, which is um, an Islam, a leader of a mosque, a very prevalent mullah, very strict in his family, and Kame was done, and so he left. And that is not enough um, reason to get refugee status, because Kame was not endangered for his life in Iran. He just wanted a better life. So he left, and um, he went, he was... He landed in France. The French government said, you, you can't stay here. You've got to leave. So he went to England and that same thing, back and forth. He went to back and forth between France and England a few times, just on a, on a boat, as, as many of them do, just on a basically a dinghy, like a rubber dinghy across the English Channel. Um, and finally, he landed in Glasgow, and he had this case, and his caseworker, his lawyer, said, 
Kame, you have to lie. He's like, if you want your visa, you have to tell them that you became a Christian in Iran and blah, blah, blah. And so he did. So he was lying to the government. He was awaiting his case. And his lie was eating away at him. And he was, um, he also, he, he just, he was, he was isolating himself. He was angry. He was, um, yeah, this lie was just eating away at him. And so finally, um, after here, I don't even know what the specific message it was, but after hearing a message at Upper Room Church, he said, he decided, I'm going to come clean. I'm going to, I'm going to tell the home office, um, my true story. And his lawyer said, don't, don't do it. And he said, no, I'm going to do it anyway. And so he came clean and he, this was terrifying for him. Cause he's like, I might not get my visa. I might be kicked out of the UK. Um, but, but he, he literally, he, he decided, he said, but God's will is, is the best way for me. It's that's proven every time. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this God's way, which is telling the truth. And so he, he totally went out in faith, totally went out on a limb. It set him free. He became just this new person full of joy. He started volunteering at the church, just loving his life, um, living totally in freedom and totally in nervousness of, I don't know if I'm going to get my visa. We, we were praying for him and um, we were all the time praying that his visa would be granted. And about a month after Breen and I came back, um, he, he gave me a call saying, Jake, I got my visa today, um, just over the moon saying, you know, God, you know, God did it. God, uh, you know, um, God's way was the, was the best way. Um, and so that's, that's Kame. Hassan is the gentleman I was playing ping pong with who, um, he was just such a great example of, of, of coming and being part of the community. Um, even when he was unsure about Jesus and then giving his life over to, to Christ. But the thing that he said, um, uh, you know, he was in tears when he told me this, the thing that he found most amazing about the story of Jesus was when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And um, to us who have been in the church, this is, again, for me, it's just an example of, um, you know, that, that, that knowledge of Jesus you know, it's, we know it well and that's so good. Um, but it can, we can grow numb to its power. But it, for Hassan, who was in such a mess, such a huge mess in his life, that truth from scripture, that biblical truth that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, that's what, that's what kind of God, what kind of leader, what kind of savior Jesus was, completely changed Hassan's life. And then for all, really every single one of these Muslim background folks, what was so profound was that God was a loving father, not an angry judge, and that their salvation is assured in Jesus. In Islam, um, I, you know, I've, I, I don't know a lot, but what, what I was told and um, was that you're in in the Islamic faith? Your salvation is never assured. It's you've gotta you've gotta keep keep working for it to ensure it yourself. And so a lot of these folks had to hear multiple times. Anyway, in Jesus, your salvation is assured, is secured. You know, Romans a huge portion of Romans is all about that. Um, Paul teaching the Roman church. No, no, no. 
Your salvation in Jesus is assured. It's totally secure. It's not by your own effort anymore. It's by what Jesus did on the cross. And so that that biblical truth is so profound, so powerful. So this was an example for me of how these folks in this in this big mess were met by the simple profound powerful truth of scripture lesson three i talked a little bit about this there's a few points in here but belonging precedes believing um while in scotland i learned about there was in the in the 400s 300 400 500s um but but mainly in the 400s when um the gospel was was reaching uh um Britain and what's now Scotland, Ireland. Um, there was a Celtic way of evangelism and a Roman way. And the Roman way was, here's the gospel. Here it is. Do you believe? You know, this is Jesus. Do you believe? But the Celtic way was different. It was, they would set up, um, it was belonging first and belonging um, precedes believing and actually um results in believing so these celtic communities were set up with the um with the church in the middle and then they would have housing for um wanderers travelers outside the church and then there would be different the towns were set up in such a way um where all the the necessities of of a village were were outflowing from this church and these church grounds and that they would welcome in travelers and that they would say, hey, stay, you know, stay a few weeks with us and we'll feed you and be a part of our community. And then in doing that, these people would learn about the gospel and say, oh, wow, I, that's um, I, I, Jesus. I, I want a part of this. I believe this. And so belonging precedes believing, whereas the Roman way was more of once you believe, then you belong. And so this we just saw this in action that. At the Upper Room Church, um, so many, and this actually brings me to my next point, um, relation and invitation. Because of um, these people being asylum seekers, um, Farsi speakers, and, um, and from Iran, you know, they, there was such a community within themselves. They would, um, they would bring friends to church. Hey, you're not doing, I know you're not doing anything else. Come, come to church with me, hear about Jesus. Um, and there was so this sense of um, people just coming to belong. Um, hey, be a part of this community. Um, just, just come, just, uh, just hang out in the back and drink some coffee while the, pa- the pastor preaches. There was so this sense of belonging first. We want to invite, we want people to belong so that they may believe. Yet, I want to um, uh, tie that back to lesson one and that it wasn't, um, it was never belonging in a sneaky way of, oh, let's like, you know, don't share Jesus with them yet. Let's, let's, let's let them feel belonged and then we'll introduce Jesus. No, it was always very up on the table. It was, hey, we, we teach Jesus here. Come, come have coffee. Come belong. Come help set up chairs. Come to our meal. Um, we were part of an evangelism team, Brian and I were, and uh, the evangelism team, it was amazing. Some people um, 
would just come to the evangelism team meetings. Whereas, um, you know, with my background, I would probably be a little more strategic. Like, okay, who? Uh, I, I really want only really strong Christians on this leadership evangelism team, um, and then we can, you know, we can uh, unfold our plan that we come up with together. But it was amazing at the evangelism team. There were people that had just arrived in Glasgow, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I just came with." I came with Ali. Ali invited me. I'm here at the evangelism team meeting. And the meeting was just open to anyone and saying, okay, how are we going to, what's our next event to share Jesus with people? So everything was, everything was so um, open and, hey, people belong um, and in hopes that they will believe. And we're very, and we're very um, blunt about what we teach. It's not nuanced. But people can belong while they're in process. Yeah. Is inclusive a good term? <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's the funny um, balance of it is uh, it's inclusive of people, but very specific in teaching. You know, um, inclusive is a is a interesting word from for us right now because inclusive can imply. Um, Beliefs, kind of a universalism. That is not what was going on at all. It was, it was. We teach here the biblical truth of Jesus. You are welcome. You know, come, belong, be loved. And that was really powerful because I think it had grown hard for Brian and I to um, differentiate those. Mm-hmm. You know how how do we be really inclusive, really. Um, welcoming, really belonging, and how do we be completely a hundred percent about Jesus, completely standing on the foundations of Scripture, um, completely you know sharing biblical truth, which which is the the truth that brings life. Um, so those things, of course, we know on a spiritual level, those things are, are absolutely married. But on the ground, sometimes it's hard to realize. Can, can I be can I be both of those in my culture? Well, we saw absolutely, and that 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 um, that these folks were uh, living proof of of both of those, you know, of the belonging and the um, truth of Scripture. That they're they can absolutely be married uh, in in any culture. Um, and the last point on this, oh, and then evangelism and mission, and and that just what that led to was. Um, just huge church growth. There would be new people in this church every week because of, um, and again, I, I want to relate this to the mess, the theme for this semester, is that these people were so, um, had so much to relate to each other because of the similar mess that they were in, of being asylum seekers in a foreign country. You know, it's different, um, you know, for you know, for me to, to, to invite, um, my, my, my hairdresser while I was there, he was coincidentally, he was from Iran. Amazingly. He'd been there for 20 years. He'd never heard of Upper Room Church. I invited him. He, you know, he was flattered, but he never, he never came. Yeah. (laughs) But these, um, you know, how much more powerful of, you know, uh, someone that gets off of a truck in Glasgow in the middle of the night um, at, is in a hotel waiting for the government to 
um, give them housing, and for another person from their country who'd been there three weeks longer, say, hey, I've, I've learned about this great church for, for Iranians. They speak Farsi. They're teaching us about Jesus. Come with, come with me. And they, that's absolutely how so many people came. And so I think the point that I wanted to bring to, to us in, in, in this um, lesson three point is in our messes, in the places that we feel like our lives are a mess or our, uh, our work situation is a mess or our country is a mess or, you know, in any, in our messes, those can be relation points to, to look for others that are in that mess and say, Hey, have you considered what this means in light of the gospel? Have you considered Jesus? Has any, you know, um, that, that element of evangelism and mission for these folks we saw, um, in, in these two prior points, in such easy, natural relation and invitation uh, with friends. And then this other point of um, come, just come belong. And then, you know, we pray you, you believe. So we just saw that really uh, work powerfully. Um, this is a group of, I wanted to show this picture because this is a group of folks from the church. You'll recognize some of their faces from earlier pictures, but um, these were folks that are, most of them were awaiting visa status. And Wesley, this is the lead pastor of Upper Room Church. He offered a course. He's part of a, it's, it's um, a Scottish missionary training um, organization called Forge. And he's, uh, he's part of Forge Missions. And he offered a, a Forge Missions course um, saying, hey, if, if any of you want to become missionaries here in Glasgow, come take this course. And this was the group that took the course. So, so these are folks that um, they're not, you know, they, they've come. Okay, uh, not, they're not just Christians. Okay, I'm, I'm a disciple of Christ. Okay, nope, not just a disciple. I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary for Jesus. So that's what this group is. Um, but I was wondering if, um, I know it's small writing. I was wondering if, can, can you guys read that? Could, um, could someone just read it out, out loud? My voice is getting a little tired. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to abolish, things that are not, to abolish things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. In contrast, God is why you are in Jesus Christ, because who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Sarah. So yeah, my um, my thought in bringing this scripture in light of what we're talking about is that it's really um, scripturally based that, that God would use a, a refugee from Iran to teach a pastor from Southern California these 
these things, right? And it's um, and this is really biblical proof that it's um, it is within God's character to use us in the humility of our messes. When we are in a mess, it's I I think it's so humbling. We lose so much of our our power. We lose some dignity. We lose pride. You know, and, and these folks were just stripped of all of that, just powerless, like powerless, um, you know. And to hear that, that um, well, for them to hear and for me to see and, and be affirmed that, oh, absolutely, it is within God's character, scripturally based, that God would use um, us, in our messes to be vessels of his wisdom. This, this is specifically about wisdom um, and, and, and not just wisdom, but his mercy and his power. So that was really just a, a profound truth that Brian and I saw unfold. Secondly, I'll, I'll read this one. Um, so at the end of our time, uh, Brian, I'm, I'm sorry, not Brian, Wesley, um, went to the to here to the states for about 6 weeks to do some fundraising for Upper Room Church and so I preached for 6 weeks in a row which was a, a huge new undertaking for me and really good practice but Wesley wanted me to get that practice and he was like hey we there's another pastor here I like they often will just close church for those 6 weeks every other year that he has to go fundraise so he's like Jake you're here we're we're using you and so this is we um the uh, passage that he had me preach on actually broken up into four weeks. And as I was preaching on it, it occurred to me, it took a few weeks, but it occurred to me that this um, church in Thessalonica, it was so similar to the upper room church in Glasgow. Um, and this is why. So I'll just, I'll just read it and it might be apparent. We always give thanks to God for all, all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of lo- your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that He has chosen you because of our message of the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy from the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For they report it to us of what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So uh, I don't know if just from what I've shared about Upper Room Church, if, if some of these things were obvious, but for me, it, it, it's so um, 
applied in that he has chosen you. That was such an important message to these people that in their mess, in this really awful mess, God had chosen them. Just like Joseph that we talked about earlier. It was that in the just depth of Joseph's mess, uh, Joseph, as we know, was actually chosen by God before he was given dreams. But it was through Joseph's mess that that he was chosen by God. And, and likewise, um, so many of these folks from their stories, it was obvious that God had chosen them long ago to come and be a witness in Glasgow. And that's totally in line with our theology as Wesleyans. We, we, um, we believe that, that, that everyone is chosen for salvation and, and that it's our choice that's up to us but it's very Paul to say, but no, I've, I've, God has chosen you for work, for good work, for kingdom building. God has chosen you to, to be a vessel of his works. So there are, there are Christians who are chosen by God um, to, to do his work. And I, I believe that that's, that's all of us who, all of us who choose to believe in Jesus, um, have work that he that he gives us that he flows through us and so for these people to be labeled as just simply asylum seekers or refugees but no to be told the truth that no you were chosen by god to come to glasgow and be in this mess so that so that god could work out his his bigger plan of healing and salvation for you so you're being chosen um the gospel came to you not only in word, but in power. We saw that so much, just like the response I told you about, how 40 people stood up after Wesley's sermon and went forward and said, yes, I'm ready to respond. Um, you know, we saw the, the gospel uh, come to these folks in power, not just in word, not just, oh, that sounds, that sounds nice. Um, that's a cool intellectual thing to bounce around. No, we saw it in power. They said, yes, sign me up. I, my, my life changes tonight. Um, so in power, um, in spite of persecution, as it says in the middle, you receive the word with joy from the Holy Spirit. Just like Nikki and Armand um, that I told you about, such joyful people. Um, Kame, after he told the truth, just filled with, with joy. Um, and then lastly, you became an example. You became an example. I think it's totally biblically um, uh, sound from that Corinthians passage we said to say, wow, I'm, I, I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm working on getting ordained, or, ordained, but I can look at this community of believers, believers as a role model because like this Thessalonian church, this, this church is really an example. They're an example church that we're talking about here, um, you know, 6,000 miles away, you know, just, you know, further than Macedonia and Achaia. Um, that this is, uh, uh, that these folks of Muslim background, refugees fleeing from their country, showing up in Glasgow with nothing, totally powerless, totally undignified, um, these people, the way the gospel is, uh, the way that they are um, encountering the gospel 
and the way that it's completely changing their lives is um, is an example. It's been an example to, to Brian and I, um, and I think it will continue to be an example as we uh, um, apply things that we learned from this church to our to our ministry. And so, again, this is just a really important example, I think, for um, how God uses us in our mess as as a vessel, not just with us, not just. You know, God meets us in our mess. I think through other encounters, that's that's probably been um, a theme. And I think that I think that is absolutely true. And the next level is that not only does God meet us, not only is He with us in the mess, but He uses us, uses us for to be agents of His um, mercy and His power and His healing. So um, that is that is all that I have. That's a, that's just a little bit about the Upper Room Church of Refugees in Glasgow. Um, in a moment, I'd love to just have a quick um, uh, time of prayer. Maybe one person can just pray for Upper Room Church and these folks. And then I'm actually leaving tomorrow night to go back um, to Glasgow for a wedding for um, uh, let's see, Hadi. This gentleman is getting married, um, and so I'm I'm going to go back. Not Brian and Sophie are staying, but I'm going to go back for a week, and I'm hoping to use that time to just check in with some of the um, young men that I uh, discipled. And so, if if someone could pray for me, that would be great. But first, of, before we pray, um, any questions about anything? How did you find out about find out about this ministry? Yeah, Wesley. Um, uh, came to Free Methodist. His uh, his children went to Westmont, and so he came for graduation. And um, he attend when he's here. He attends this church. He loves Free Methodist. He he's told me he said, "Don't tell Pastor Colleen this," but he said the only reason I would I would um, move back to uh, be a pastor in the states is if I got a, offered a job at Free Methodist Santa Barbara. <laughs> 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 So, I wanted to ask you, yeah. So, are the Iranian people able to travel wherever they want to go? They can't go to Israel, I'm sure. Right. Um, in Iran, I'm not. I'm not sure. Once they're once they're in Europe, no, they 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 can't travel legally until they have their refugee status. But in Iran, you're right. They I know they can't go to Israel, but I don't know. There's other countries that they're not allowed to go in because their governments aren't. Um, you know, on good terms, right. but it's I, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, Iraq was, is neighbor to um, them, and I, I don't think that there's much many people going between Iran and Iraq. Yeah. 